Pitch Deck Asia. Your story, your words. We're live. This is Pitch Deck Asia. My name's Graham Brown in the studio in Singapore. Welcoming back to the Pitch Deck Asia studio. The well, the guys from the very well dressed guys from Prop Seller. We have Adrian and John. Welcome. Thank you, Graham. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great to see you back. Well, you were here seven months ago, I feel. Yeah, that's about right. I think it was in December last year, just after our first fundraising. Good. Fantastic. It's been a journey, right? We're going to talk about your journey. And by the way, was that you playing the piano earlier? Uh, yeah, I'm okay. trying to. <laughs> Just, uh, we've, got a, we've got a piano down in the, the lobby of the office. And somebody's tinkling away. How is his piano playing, John? He's my boss. So. Okay. <laughs> we can speak afterwards, right? Okay, so prop seller in the house, Adrian and John. Um, let's talk about the journey. Let's talk about the problem that you're solving, the market here in Singapore, all of that. We're going to have a look at your website and see how things have evolved. Bring us up to speed first, Adrian. First of all, for those that didn't watch part one mm -hmm. maybe you can tell us about the conversation we had back then what prop seller was about what you were solving then yeah and then we can talk about today in late 2019 put all of this into the context you're in the you're from the world or the family of real estate right mm -hmm. so you come from this world right you mm -hmm. came into the studio seven months ago mm -hmm. what was it all about then yeah, so Prop Seller, we are today, and then I'll come back to um, how we started. Uh, we are a seller-centric, technology-powered uh, real estate agency. So what does it mean? We serve the individual property owners in Singapore, looking to sell HDBs, looking to sell condo, looking to sell landed properties. And what we do for them is that we help them sell high, fast, and with the least amount of pain. And basically, we do that relying on two pillars. Number one, we elevate the most human part of the service with top property agents that are in-house uh, and that you can trust. Uh, John is one of them. Um, and the second pillar is that we industrialize all the rest, everything that's not human uh, of the property transaction. The process. Right? The process, that's right. Yeah, you automate to elevate. That's exactly that. Okay. So we have, uh, as you said, um, in-house agents, right, um, that we are augmenting with technology. Mm. Um, that's how we function today. We started last year with an approach that was a bit different. We were still focused on the same clients, same customers, uh, same problem. Um, but we started by comparing agents that were uh, not uh, in-house with us, mm. right? Uh, we uh, sign up 500 of the best agents of Singapore. Uh, we learn a lot from them. We love a very good agents, the one that you can trust. Um, and little by little, those agents, when partnering with us, they have t started telling us stuff like, hey, can I get, get access to your tools? Hey, can you also do this for uh, clients that are not coming from PropSeller? Mm. Hey, could you do this or that with me? So at this point, it became a very natural step for us to sort of integrate the value chain and get those agents in-house. And since about nine months now, that's what we focus on. Right. So you brought the agents in-house to control the experience and really end-to-end -end yeah. the solution? Exactly. I think control is, um, is a keyword here in the sense that it helps to deliver reliability. Mm. And reliability, it's really what's missing in the market today, right? So if you put yourself into the shoes of an individual property owner today, how do you go about selling your property? Well, first of all, you should 
go about it very seriously because it's one of the most important financial decision of your life. Mm. Real estate represents very likely the very a very big percentage of everything you own. Um, so small difference can have actually uh, deep financial consequences. So mm. you better 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 go the right way about it. So tell me tell me about the reliability part. Here. Yeah, I mean, so, surely with all this money yeah. involved in the transaction, it should be reliable, right? Um, <laughs> tell us the truth. You come from this world. If you if you look at the market as it is today, I think uh, it is unfortunately not for the property owners, right? Yeah. So ninety six percent of HDB owners, when they are looking to sell, currently they engage the service of a property agent that works on their side, mm. and uh, the agents they work with currently are freelancer agents, right? There are thirty thousand in Singapore, more than taxi drivers, and those agents close an average of one point three sales transaction a year, right? When you do things, so, say again. 1.3 on sales average. transaction per but year. That, that must be like 10%, 90%, or 5%, 95%, right? There must be some guys closing 100. There are, defi- there are definitely agents uh, that are closing much more than that. Right? right, and then there's everybody else closing nothing or one. But there are also some that are closing 1. even 1.3 a year? Yeah, yeah, for sales transaction. If you include both sales and rentals now, right, right. the average comes to seven, right? right? This is not me saying How it. How are this these is guys surviving? Uber? Grab? Some of them are doing things part-time. Some of them are not making much money. I think from the consumer standpoint, what matters is that you can't have a very deep expertise when you do things so infrequently, right? If you have to go for a surgery, I always like to say this, would you go for a surgeon that performs one surgery a year? Yeah, probably not. Exactly. Uh, Same thing with a property agent. What would you go with an agent that performs one sales transaction a year? Yeah. Right. Why is that market? Tell us. So back up in a little bit. I know you're getting to the point, but I kind of like to understand all the sort of structure of it a little bit. Is that why is that the case in the market? That's quite unlike a lot of other markets in the world, right? Um, Yeah, it's... uh, It's like a lot of other market in the world for the same industry. I think the reason for that is what? Number one... um, Real estate has been very good at making itself very attractive for agents, right? Um, By keeping to to sell the dream of selling that $10 million property that's going to make you basically retire at the age of 35, etc. Because some of those stories are true, right? Mm. But the truth is also that it happens to only a very small, very, very small percentage of the agent, right? It's like if you are a, a kid and you're playing football with your friend and someone tells you, hey, you can become Neymar or you can become Messi, yeah. right? Yeah, two guys uh, did, right? Two guys did, right? It's it exactly keeps the that. hopes alive of the, all the thousands <laughs> coming through, right? That's how it works. Yeah, it's the Hollywood model, right? A bit, yeah, it's exactly that, right? So number one, you have this very big attracti- attractiveness driven by this dream, yeah. right? Number two, you have buyers to entry for freelance agents that are pretty low, right? Mm-hmm. Despite in Singapore, they are very high compared to international standard. So nowadays, if you want to become a property ag- agent in Singapore, you only need to go for two weeks training. Right. And then you get your license, right? Yeah. And then you can start practicing. And then you have a chance that's above zero to sell a $10 million property. Yeah. But it doesn't happen, right? Uh, so it drives in the business a lot of people uh, easily uh, that have not have the time or have not made the effort to develop skills and expertise. Mm. And at the end of the day, that makes customer waste the time. Yeah. What what is and what's the wasting the time manifest as? If, if I was selling a ten million property or mm. even a million property, mm. what does that mean to me? What, how, what's the the net impact of having all these kind of freelancers running around mm. Mm. doing no business? 
I think um, you know it comes down to what's the 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 end goal of a property owner. Have you ever sell a property, Graham? Not here in Singapore, but I have in the UK. Yeah. In the UK, yeah. How was it? Uh, I've sold a number. This is my business. So oh, you sold a one number. of my business. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! But I understand that dealing with agents is not straightforward. Okay. Yeah. So. I think dealing with the agent, we see it as, as a mean to accomplish something. It's not the end goal, right? Mm. The end goal when you're a property owner is to get the most money out of your property as soon as possible with the least amount of pain. Um, so when you work with people that are not delivering right on their promise, then either you don't sell at all, or it takes really long to sell, mm. or you don't sell at the right price, or it's a very painful process along the way. Yeah, that's and basically the very difficult to recover money as well if it goes wrong, right? That's one of the problems. Once you sold the house, that's it. Yeah. You know, you're not going to go to court for that. It's very hard. Yeah, yeah. And so, if, if it took too long, if you wasted... Um, let me give you a very concrete example. Mm. Um, we have a number of people that are coming to us and they are what, we, what are called in Singapore upgraders or downgraders. So upgraders are people who are looking to, for example, upgrade from an HDB to a condo, upgrade from an HDB to a larger HDB. Downgrader is the converse. Um, those people, they need both to buy, but also to sell. And the timing of those two actions is extremely important, mm. right? There's always this question, are you selling first or are you uh, buying first, right? Yeah. Some people decide to buy first. If you buy first, <coughs> then you have a deadline to sell. There's, there's no, no, no other things you can, you can do than sell by this, this date. If you have not, then you may not just collect the key of your BTO, mm. right? So that's why reliability, again, having this, this deadline in mind and just reaching it and going all the way out as we do at PropSeller, by the way, for only 1% only commission uh, is uh, what, why I think people are enjoying our service. And with all of this, and I'll ask you, John, as well, what's it like to be an agent here in Singapore? is for the seller's side, and we can talk about the agents in a minute, is that what is the real big pain point in all of that? Where is it, for example, deals falling through? Is it, you know, mis-selling? Is it a lack of information? Because I imagine as a seller, one of the biggest problems, like you mentioned, if, especially if you're involved in a chain, a deal falls through. Yep. Often it's a nightmare. Yep. It's something seven months in, you know, this not moving forward, somebody pulls out and then this whole sort of domino effect of people that deals get pulled yep. because somebody in the chain has, for whatever reason, reneged on a deal yep. or something. What's the reality here in Singapore? Where does it, you know, where are those biggest pain points? At the end of the day, it's reliability, right? Mm. And but, but if we break it down, what would it be? Well, it's time to sell, price mm. that you get, how painful is that? Do you need like to deal with 10 agents that are disappearing the day after you meet them? Or do you deal with a partner that's like standing by your side all the way until you get things done? Um, it's the reliability in every concept you yeah. can imagine. But how, how can it be more reliable? I'm sort of setting this up for you, I guess, is that because it is quite a complicated process, isn't it? And yeah. long, and you're involving lots of handovers of information between lawyers and land registries and owners and estate agents, and there's lots of people, and they're all moving at different speeds. So ne necessarily, put me wrong, it has to be complicated and unreliable in a way. Think of it this way. Car manufacturing is a very complicated process, right? 
but mass manufacturing has made it extremely reliable. Mm. In a way, what we are doing is that we are building a productized service, right? We are making a service to become reliable by transforming the art into a science, by transforming the art into a service manufacturing chain. So everything that really matters from a human standpoint, the expertise, the human touch, the negotiation, not only you have what you would have with a, a traditional agent, but you get much more with PropSeller, Everything that is going to become more reliable when it's in the end of a workflow, of a process, mm. of a technology, then that's where uh, we centralize it and automate it. Yeah. I like hearing workflows, technologies, and so on. You've set up a company here in Singapore, and you know dealing with corporate secretarial services, often when you walk into the offices, they give you the laminated plastic sheets, and yep. that, that's the advanced technology that we have in CorpSec here. Very similar problem. There's a lot of workflows that are missing there. Yep. And it's a lot of documents changing hands. Yep. But somebody needs to come in, look at that, turn it into a process. Yep. As if you were Toyota yep. dealing with that problem. How can I make this more reliable? Yep. So are you thinking about this in that mindset, like you're building a car? No, like, we are doing it. Right. We are doing it. Let me give you uh, the, the simple evidence of it, right? Um Average property agent in Singapore is closing uh, seven transactions a year. Mm. Our agents at PropSeller last quarter closed uh, on an annual basis 50 transactions a year. Five, five zero. Five zero, right. right? Uh, so that's more than, that's actually seven times uh, the amount. Uh, they don't work seven times more. Exactly. They work just seven times more efficient. And they're not getting seven times more leads, I bet, right? They probably get more leads, but they're more effective, efficient. Definitely. There's a lot of stuff you're kind of, removing from the definitely we do marketing uh it's done by the company not by the agent uh we do the operation we do the listing right. I, I guess john would would talk better than me about that okay john yeah enter john so you're you're an agent by training did you have to take this two-week course yeah, so uh just a bit of background about yeah. myself so i made my foray into the real estate industry when i was 21 uh that's where i got my license and mm. I, I became a realtor while i was actually pursuing my degree as well so that's how I got to, into the industry. Mm. Um, after I graduated, I really wanted to be part of something uh, greater, something bigger, uh, more specifically into the real estate tech space. So that's how I crossed paths uh, with uh, Prop Seller. Yeah. Um, why, why did you want to be in something bigger? You can do very well as an agent. It's a bit different. Um, okay, I'll just put it this way. You know, the current industry, this, the, mm. the real estate agents industry, uh, it's a bit of a wow wow west because no one has really question the status quo of how things work yeah whether they are efficient or not or whether they are inefficient no one has really questioned it but i think prop seller is in this position to really question it to to try and make things more efficient mm. because at the end of the day the the core of this business the core of this industry right is to to serve the clients better right it's it's as simple as that so i think if you ask me i think we are part of part of something bigger to really fix this yeah, yeah. um just to just to touch on a bit about the productivity right so that's what we're talking about um, over here, before that, when I was an agent, right, I used to do a lot of things myself. Mm. Like, for instance, um, running the viewings, doing the marketing, uh, things like that. But over here, we have uh, a great team of specialists to support me on that. So it really mm. frees up a lot, a lot of bandwidth. And I can be more focused on what I, I like to do the most, which is to really serve our clients, you know, be committed to them. So that it, it's, it's a cycle, actually. The more I do that, the more deals I close. Yeah. At the end of the day, I get more expertise, right? Yeah. And, and then we are going to close even more deals, serve our clients even better. That's so. what you're here to do, right? Yeah. Well, tell me, when you were doing it pre-prop seller and you mm -hmm. were doing it all yourself, what were the tools of your trade? 
Was it notepad, pen, here, Excel spreadsheets? What's typical of estate agents? What do they use? Okay, let's talk about, uh, I'm going to give you a very concrete example. Yeah. So before PropSala, I didn't even really do any e-contracts. Right. Before that, it was just paper. It was very brick scam. and mortar, right? Yeah, yeah, scam, things like that. But in PropSala, we do it a bit differently. We give yeah. clients the option of signing e-contracts, which really, you know, frees out a lot of their time and convenience, right? Yeah. So that's one of the examples um, that yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, it's so simple. Yeah. It's not necessarily time, I think, as well. I find a lot of it is, I mean, time is obviously measurable. A lot of it is mind space. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have, you're constantly making decisions about stuff that's not important, right? And if you're constantly making decisions about stuff that's not important, you're not making decisions about stuff that is important, like clients and relationships. If it's like, okay, I've got to get to 7-Eleven to scan this document whilst I'm in the car or whatever to send it over to a client, that, okay, is time. But for you as somebody who's involved in sort of the higher level relationship building, right, with the client, that's really valuable mind space. And yes. decision fatigue is real, right? Yes. You know, like you start in the morning up here with your decision energy and any one of these like small little things you have to do just kind of reduces it to sort of capitulating by lunchtime, right? Yes. So you were using before what, like scanning, you know, photocopiers? Very primitive stuff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah is like, that common? That is common, yes. Yeah. That is very but common. But why do agents say, why didn't like the agent, you know, I imagine here in um, Singapore you have agent companies as well as lots of individuals, you know, because they, they can sort of group their marketing and their resources together. They can maybe have shop front and so on. Why aren't they saying to their agents, look, okay, you guys, look, we're going to give you these tools. You guys, we're going to train you in how to use CRM or is, is that not common? Can I answer this one? I, I think um, it comes down to the relationship that uh, those players that I prefer to call franchise than agencies mm-hmm. are having with the agents. Agents are, are actually, th- th- those franchise, they are running B2B businesses um, where agents are their clients. Hmm. Um, and when they don't control the agents, agents are not team member or employees or things like that, right? Um, so the relationship is very loose. If you provide those uh, agents uh, in those big franchises a CRM, most of them don't want to put the data yeah. because they are very afraid of the data being stolen, right? Because that's their own data. It's the the one running the show is not the the franchise, is the individual agent. Right? Yeah. Secondly, there is no technology. Uh, that uh, when uh, made to improve efficiency and productivity, just work out of the box. Mm. Um, Take a CRM. Of course, we use a CRM. Uh, Give it to 10 salespeople. Do not train them about it. Come back one year later. They're still using Microsoft Excel. Yeah. Right? Um, So the same thing is happening over there. Yeah. It's not, we don't deliver technology. We deliver uh, a a platform that's helping uh, our team to reach the maximum efficiency. Yeah, great. And I love the the pivot that you've had in mm. the business in mm. the, recently as well. So maybe we can talk about your journey mm. as a startup. Mm. Two years? Uh, nearly a year and a half, a bit more, yeah. Okay, a year and a half, coming up to two years. Yeah. So you're through the valley of death in the sense that, you know, most startups don't make the first year. Okay. So you made the first year, so great, congratulations, you're still in business. Okay, good. So people are paying for your service, which yeah. is great. So you're no longer just an idea. My point being is now you're, you're more of a mature startup, right? And now you're growing. How has it been for you, like what you're doing now 
as a startup and what you started doing? How are you doing things differently? Because I imagine you've changed so many things. If, if you haven't, you haven't been doing anything, right? You've pivoted, you've learned, you've evolved. Tell us about what you're doing differently now to what you're doing differently day one. Okay. So in terms of pivoting, I would more say that we launched a new product and we decided to focus more on the second one than on the first one, right? right. At the end of the day, we did not change our, our clients. We did not change our mission. We just changed the how, right? How mm. we do things. Before, we were doing it by comparing agents. Now we do it with our own agents. Right. right? So the first one is the comparison and the second one is like your own in-house. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. And the reason for that, where did, okay, we'll come to the reason, but where did the inspiration for that idea come at what point did you say that's it <laughs> we got that meeting was right? it a light was it a light bulb <laughs> was it a meeting was it over a beer was it like in the shower in the morning how do these how do these things actually happen because i think startup founders are interested in this as well what's the genesis of this was it an idea that was kind of growing and then you had some validation you thought yep that's right or was it just like you know you watched a TED talk or read a book or somebody spoke to you, you <coughs> interacted with a client and it just all made sense. I'd say that when you start, at least for us, when we started, um, we had decided to focus on something and yeah. we had a number of ideas on the table of things we wanted to do after that, right? Uh, verticalization, orientalization, horizontal expansion, um, new... Uh, Many things, right? Yeah. And, and probably this was one of the ideas, even in day one, that was in the back of our mind, right? And I, th I think after after uh, started to run for a couple of weeks and months, etc., there are some of those early ideas that proved to be really not interesting, yeah. and some other that, that proved to be more uh, interesting than others, right? So probably we started playing with the idea in the beginning, it was like a joke, uh, and then little by little, we try to really focus on operating our first simple business mm. the best we could, because we thought that this was the only way we could really assess it, right? You can re you have really to, oper to operationalize it really greatly. Otherwise, the signals you get are very fuzzy, right? Mm. We wanted to have very clear signal in the data we were looking at. Um, and then it came a bit from everywhere, right? It came from our team, it came from our partner agent, it came from conversation. Um, and then we're like, okay, let's explore that. And, and I think one thing we did really, really well it, it was to, to go really fast, really fast. Like after six months after starting, we started experiencing, experimenting with DID, uh, set up a few experiments, tests, and so on. Um, and at the end of the day, wrap it up with, uh, I remember a very, very late team meeting, like uh, 8 p.m. pizza in the large meeting room of our co-working space until like 1 a.m. We don't go out of the, of the room until we make a decision. Uh, we've actually set up uh, two teams without, within our team. Mm. One was the, the team that was for it. The other one was the team that was against it. Yeah. Uh, every sub-team had to prepare their pitch, right? And right. we had to argue, and we basically argued for, for, like, um, for like three hours. Remember, John? Yeah. Was, yeah. Was were there people who in different teams actually for and against it, or was it just you assigned them just to give a balance, like a jury or it, something? It, or? it was assigned um, okay, so it uh, wasn't randomly. It, okay. I was in the team against John, uh, and it's the team, <laughs> you of team John for? who won. Yeah. I was four, yeah. You were yeah. four, okay. Yeah. And how did that work? I mean, because it's really interesting. Uh, again, I'm putting it out for this discussion because, again, you're, sh you're sharing insights into how a startup grows and you're also sharing insights into your work culture as well, mm -hmm. which is attractive to people who want to join and mm -hmm. so on. Mm -hmm. 
and people who want to be part of this journey. So I'm curious about how this team worked in like two people, two groups pitting against each other on an idea, which they may not philosophically be behind, but let's look at all the evidence, right? So they had to go away, research, come back with a pitch. Yeah. And how, how did you actually decide who won? Was there a judge? How is it, John? Or was it just like the others kind of just said yours is better or was it? I think, I think at the end of the day, we just came to a conclusion uh, that for the greater good, we, we had to go in this direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we had a long debate though, but even during the debate, it was very obvious like we were all for this idea at the end of the day. So mm. it, wasn't, it wasn't a very hard decision for the yeah. team you asked me. Yeah. yeah. It was, it, it was not a hard, nevertheless, it was a big decision because it was, what are we going to focus on? What's our next big product, yeah. anyway, right? Mm. Um, what's our next big offering? And um, How did you, as the founder, argue against it? Because I think in your heart and your mind, you knew this, like in terms of value. Yeah. You, you know, you're obviously a good actor, but you have to, like, obviously believe in what you're saying and how, how did that work for you because you you had to put the case yeah that actually this may be a great idea but this may be a blind alley yeah or this may be a distraction or maybe a shiny object yeah how did you as a founder deal with that so i think when we came to that meeting when we had this two sub team debating etc everybody knew in the team that that i was convinced that was our way forward yeah um but i think it was very important for me not only to make the right decision, and for this I knew it's important to learn from, from the entire team we had, right? Mm. We, we reach a size when I can no longer see every single details of our company. Uh, John is, is spending much more time with clients than I do, for example. So I value his feedback very highly, number one. And number two, it was very important that it was not only my decision, but it was the team decision. Mm. Because what we were going for was super big, and I wanted to make sure we had the, the commitment from everybody. So that's why I picked myself to be into the against team. Mm -hmm. Let's not become an agency ourselves. Mm. Um, because I wanted to make sure we had good reason to do it. There was, it was not like, oh, it sounds sort of cool. Uh, and then the rest of the team were picked, uh, were picked randomly. So going back to that, what was your top line argument for not doing it? Frankly, Graham, you know, when you make decisions like this and you move on, that was nine months ago, we, for we completely forgot, forgot about it. Okay. <laughs> That's why you didn't win. <laughs> what was the argument for doing it then? What do you think the winner was? I think at the end of the day is uh, efficiency mm. and reliability. Yeah. To do this at a, at a large scale. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you couldn't control the efficiency and reliability of people who effectively weren't on your payroll, right? Or even like philosophically weren't on the same page as you, yeah. like the agents, yeah. right? Yeah. To yeah. a large extent, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And when you decided you're going to go ahead, was it all in or did you run, run it as a sort of a side validation first or all in? Oh, no, the, the validation or at least what we could validate, because I think in, in, in such cases, uh, you can try to validate things forever, yeah. but at some point you have to make a call. Yeah. Right. Um, so we've made some tests, we got some answers, uh, sometimes putting us in the direction we thought, sometimes put it, putting us in another direction, actually making us understanding better what we were doing or about to do. Uh, but the day we decided, uh, after that meeting, the next day was all in, everybody. Yeah. Everybody. Okay. And you've already mentioned some of the data, for example, like 
obviously the closing or the amount of deals that people get. What was the data for you that validated this in the sense that this was the right thing to do? How, how could you actually measure the reliability or was it more sort of qualitative what people were saying? Did you have a number, for example, saying this is how many deals actually fell through or, you know, if it was a logistics problem, it would be how many packets did we lose yeah. or if it's Toyota, it's how many breakdowns did we have? How are you tracking that reliability? Very simply, right? Um, client, the number one reason they come to us when they want to sell is to sell. Mm -hmm. Then whether they sell high, fast, and with the, is the second secondary question. Number one, they want to achieve things, right? So one very easy metric to look at is out of 100 people to come, that come to us to sell, how many are actually selling with yeah. us? As simple as that, right? So our benchmark was this conversion rate uh, from our top partner agents. We did not compare ourselves against the average agents in Singapore against mm. our top partner agents. Mm. And what we saw was that with every agent that were not as expensive as those guys, we could actually uh, get to a sale three times more often. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, uh, at this point, it was like extremely clear. For the same price? For the same price in this industry, benchmark is extremely difficult to make because every unique Roughly. Is, yeah. is, is unique, yeah. but uh, for a very, very good prices all the time. Okay. Three times more? Yes. Yeah, so surely then agents start looking at this and think, okay, we need this. Now, can you sell this tech? Can we be in-house? Or I mean, how does that work? Because now your competition looks at that and they say, either we're going to build that or we need to partner with you or you're going to license that to us. What, what is, or are you just going to say, no, we're keeping this in-house and that's so, it, I'm afraid. So we got some conversation with some of the traditional players. I would not mention the name, but some of the very large franchise who approach us. They were curious about what we were doing. Like, can we do something together? Can we license it, etc. We don't do that. We will not do that for a simple reason. We don't believe in the SaaS model for that mm -hmm. industry. Mm -hmm. Providing software to agents for them to do a better job. We just don't believe in that. Fine. So we developed our own in-house tools and we provide them only to our in-house agents. Yeah. Okay, you're very clear about that. That's fine. Because I imagine a key part of this in growing a business is saying no. Yeah. You can say yes to everything, yeah. but you're clear about what you don't do. Yeah. And therefore, those conversations and people that reach out to you, you say, okay, we don't do that. Yeah. You may do in the yeah. future. That may change. Who knows? But right now, you're not. And that's clear in your vision for the next for foreseeable future, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. So let's talk about expansion. How many people are you now? So we are eight based in Singapore, plus we have two remote developers mm -hmm. at this point in time. Uh, John is those days. Are you busy, John? I, I need more help. <laughs> you need I, more help? I need more help. Doing what? <laughs> How many meetings do you run per week for the last two months? I run about... 10 to 15 meetings a week. Yeah. That, yeah. It, I don't know how that compares to a normal outside agent. Is that a lot? I think you do more than that. It's a lot more, definitely. Inclu yeah. Including yep. viewings? Uh, including viewings, I'm doing about 30 meetings. Right. Or so. well, what's the average? I mean, I, I don't know what agents do all day. So, I mean, it, it's, if they're not closing, like you're saying, so mm. what, what sort of average? Okay, it's it's a it's two, de two different types of meetings. So, oh. the first type of meeting is meeting new clients, right? Uh -huh. So, at the rate I'm doing right now is definitely a lot more than average agents. Yeah. Uh, but viewings wise, because we have a lot more clients coming on board, right? So I would say 
also a lot more than the average agents as well. Okay. So yeah. just going back to your point, when you say 10 to 15 meetings, that's vendors, right? Is that right? Yes. Property owners. Okay, I got it. That's yeah. quite a lot, I think, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, compared to any other market, I think 10 to 15. And then obviously the viewings is showing the buyers around, right? Yes. Okay. So that's keeping you busy. What do you need help with? We are hiring agents, yeah. uh, real estate agents. We are hiring inside sales agents. We are hiring- What's an inside sales agent? It's an, an agent that works from the office. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, I see. So would the they be like phoning around and like saying, oh, we found a property for you? And Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We have inside and outside agent. Okay. Um, we are hiring for marketing position, head of performance marketing, uh, CMO. Mm -hmm. uh, we what does a CMO do in an agency? Um, he promotes our service to property owners. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Great, fantastic. And we are also hiring in uh, in operation roles. Right. Okay. Yeah. What like operation manager, COO, or something? Um, COO, if we find the right candidates. Otherwise, yeah. operation executive, operation managers. What would they do in in an agency like this? What typically what they'd be doing? For example, one of the things that's done centrally is to manage the listings of our agents. Mm. So John doesn't um, touch Property Guru, 99.co, uh, and so on. It's all done centrally. Yeah. Um, we have developed our, our own uh, software to connect to all those platforms and manage that from one central point. Mm -hmm. So the operation team is the one making sure this goes smoothly. So going back to your data from earlier, if there are 30,000 freelance agents in Singapore, yeah. there's a lot who a, are interested in real estate, are qualified to a certain degree, mm -hmm. understand the market. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are potentially going to apply. Mm -hmm. I think you need to kind of filter these people down yeah. a little bit. A, firstly, are you looking for people only from the real estate world? If I'm going to join with John in doing what you're doing or inside sales yeah. or, or do I have to come from this world let's get that out there and also mindset wise yeah what kind of people are you looking for yeah so definitely we want to offer in singapore the most premium property agent service mm. by the way once again we charge only one percent instead of the standard two percent right, let's get it out there yeah <laughs> which is pretty cool <laughs> right let's not forget about it yeah. so we save people and is that one percent adrian it's not two percent is that half of what others are charging wow. <laughs> yes thanks for highlighting yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a deal. <laughs> well, you be, and you're closing three times as much. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Uh, Wait, you should be charging more, surely. <laughs> uh, no, no, we, we can afford that because because of the productivity we mentioned earlier, and we think it's cool for the consumer. Uh, so uh, we want to have and offer our consumer the most premium agent service, and that comes awfully uh, with agents that have uh, extremely uh, high level of expertise. Yeah. So we are only hiring agents for agents position that already have uh, three to uh, seven years of experience in the industry. Right, and what sort of levels have do they have to be selling like premium properties? When you say like high level of expertise, it just means years of experience, right? It means years of experience and, and fantastic results uh -huh. that could be amplified uh, when they join us. Yeah. Uh, in terms of specialization, would it be HDB, condo, etc.? We serve all kinds of properties, so we are looking for a good mix of that. Yeah. What, what kind of mindsets are you looking for? Are you just looking for anybody with results? Or is there a specific mindset that goes with prop seller? Because you're not let me put it normal as an agency, which I think is why you're doing this and why you're attracting people. Is there something required apart from just being hardworking, ambitious, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Anything else on top of that? John, you want to answer this one? I think it's someone who, who is doing the right thing when no one is looking. 
and someone who really cares and yeah. go, goes extra amount. Because I can tell you, I'm very proud of my team, yeah. of the teammates I'm working with because they all care. Mm. They push each other really hard. We go the extra amount. So ideally, we, we are looking for someone like that. Yeah. yeah. What does that mean? I mean, sort of mindset in... A winning mindset, if you ask me. Yeah. Is it competitive? Is it competitive? Really? What's it like for you, Adrian? <laughs> Is it competitive world? Uh, Do they have to want to compete? Yeah, I think so, right? Yeah. Uh, I think... Uh, any hire, uh, I may be wrong, but any hire for uh, a startup have to have to have a competitive uh, mindset, right? Yeah. We we are in a model where the competition will be heating up in the next years. Uh, there'll be a few winners, there'll be some losers. Uh, we definitely want to be uh, in, in the the number one winner. Yeah, against what kind of people? How do you compare yourself? Who, who is in, in your market here? Who would be the company that you'd like to beat? I think I'm not going to mention names, but currently, right, 99% of the property owners, they are dealing with freelance agents. Uh -huh. So in a way, they are the, 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 the number one alternative to our service currently. Yeah, yeah. And I, I haven't asked you, but I'm just really curious. I guess it helps sort of put this all into perspective. How do you define yourself? Do you find yourself as a real estate agency or do you find yourself as a startup or both or a tech company, or what? Is it not an important conversation for you? I'm just curious about how you sort of see yourself in the world. Yeah, I think we, we, we see ourselves as a technology-powered real estate agency. So mm. we are not a real estate business, we are not a tech business, we're a mix of both, yeah. right? Uh, we're very aware we are in a sales business. Uh, we don't wear T-shirts. Uh, yeah, I can see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you're not developers, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, we also deal with developers. We develop great product and so on. Yeah, yeah. But we are very aware that 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 we are in a sales business, right? We, yeah, we, I mean, we you're not, not going to show up to a, a client dressed in a, a t-shirt. We're not allowed to to make things half good. Yeah, uh, because we are in bet mode or things like that. Right. Not in a business like ours. And do you ever think as well? I mean, Singapore. I know Singapore is wealthy as a, a market and. Property prices here are, are good over the long term. Six million people. Is that big enough for you? Well, looking at... Um, want to talk about market size. Is that yeah, big? I mean, long. I mean, obviously now there's plenty. Mm. But like future, because you're ambitious. What, what do you do when you get to number one? Okay. Then what? Um, let's put it this way, right? Last year in Singapore, uh, the 30,000 pro uh, 30, property agent that Singapore has to offer they took uh, a $1.2 billion commission hmm. total, right? Just commission. I'm not talking about Even selling 1.3 properties each. That's right. Well, right. In total, $1.2 billion, uh, billion US dollar of commission. Mm -hmm. it, it is a massive market, right? Mm -hmm. uh, real estate uh, in 2017 uh, was valued uh, as the largest asset class on earth, mm -hmm. $222 trillion US dollars. Um, three times the size of all the listed equities, 450 times the size or the value of all the cryptocurrencies. Yeah. Right? Every time you touch real estate, it's always super huge, any yeah. country in the world. Yeah, I'm a believer. Don't worry, I mean, it's not going anywhere either. I mean, it's not like a thousand years from time, we'll still be talking about real estate. Yeah. And it has a thousand years ago, right? Yeah. Okay, we, fantastic. We, we need a home, right? Exactly. Exactly. We haven't fixed that problem yet. <laughs> well, that's what you guys do. As long as we need the home. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, it's been great having you back on the, the show. And uh, I'm really pleased to see the journey and the progress and some new faces as well. Okay. So, and, you know, as you evolve, um, I'd like to see part three at some point in the future as well. I With think. pleasure. Yeah, definitely. Let's see what the, the future holds as Would well. Would you come for part three, uh, John? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you and your team. Let's do right? that. Bring so, the team. So how many of us uh, you would like to come next time? Yeah, how, we, how many can we fit in the room, right? <laughs> okay, how many can we fit? Yeah, I think yeah. we could probably manage a few more. But I think you know, the journey as well, I mean, it's exciting to see you grow. Um, it's exciting to see where you came from, you know, in the the last show as well. Okay. And yeah, I mean, you both are quite ambitious. So I think what the future holds would be interesting as well to see how this sort of pivot has evolved yeah. as a business model as uh -huh. well and you're going to face challenges yeah definitely. you know you're going to think every week we do yeah that's why you're here every otherwise week we do. no point doing it right every week we do. what's the best way to reach out to you adrian how do you like people to contact you um you have my linkedin um if uh you want to apply to one of our jobs they are posted on the careers page of our website that yeah. you can find into the footer um that's about yeah. it that's it tell adrian or John, that you've seen this. Yeah. And watch the, the video or listen to it as well. Yeah. And then uh, reach out. So you're looking particularly in the hiring side for real estate agents. That's right. And that's it. For and those those roles that you mentioned as well. In real estate, uh, real estate agents, outside and inside, uh, in marketing, uh, very important function for us. Uh, we're look also looking for operation people. Yeah. And finally, uh, we are hiring uh, either VP of engineering or CTO. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Now, before you go, um, I want to ask you a tip for anybody that wants to come and work for you. Like, are you the kind of boss that asks those tough questions okay. at interview? I think and it's it, a fantastic question. Go it's, on it's a so give it, give it away now. So anybody that's got to 40 minutes into the interview, they, they're prepared for it. So it's a bonus for them. It's okay. the Easter egg. Go okay, on. it's a very good question. I have looked myself over the last 18 months to more than 2,000 resumes. Hmm. Okay. And applications. Okay. Uh, there are a couple of things that candidates do wrong way too often. Okay. Number one, they should know the company they're applying to. Yeah. Okay. They should know what we do, right? If you come to us and, and tell us like random stuff about, yeah, I want to join a startup, and it just show me that you did not care. You did not take the time to do some research and pick your uh, company correctly, um, that you do not make a big decision the right way and that you are going to, to, to make again a big decision mm. the wrong way, right? So this is an absolute no-go. Um, number two, they should look at the requirements of the job description. Requirements are made for something, right? Mm. Uh, when, we, when we put requirements, we, we treat them very carefully in such a way that they don't exclude candidates that we would we could still be interested by. Right? Mm. So look at the requirements so you don't waste your time. Make, make your research about the company. I'd say these are two very simple advice yep. uh, that uh, would be applicable probably with us, but very likely also with anybody else. Yeah. Save everybody's time. Yep. That's what it's all about. Yeah. John, Adrian, thank you so much for coming back to the studio yep. and sharing your story with us. Prop seller, everybody in the house, yep. signing out. Yep. All the best, guys. Hope to see you with some news in the future. Thanks, Graham, for having us. Thank Have you, Graham. Bye. Thank you. That was Pitch Deck Asia, powered by Pitch Media Asia. My name's Graham Brown. 
Pitch Deck Asia is a platform to give startups in Asia a voice. We give them a show to help them tell their story. And if you love these startup stories and like hearing more about the journeys of the founders, go and check out our SoundCloud channel, which is available at pitchdeck.asia slash SoundCloud. That's pitchdeck.asia slash SoundCloud. Head along to the channel, subscribe, follow us, and feel free to leave a comment or a rating on our channel as well. We'd love to hear your feedback.